Uh, does Philippians 1.6 teach, once saved, always saved? It, it is amazing to me how many people hate once, once saved, always saved. And what, what amaze, why it amazes me is when we look at the Word of God, the issue of always being saved is not an issue. The issue as to whether or not someone is saved, now that is an issue. <laughs> um, especially when you read, and again, I know I've told you before, but I'm reading Tozer. Um, in his, uh, I've read the, per, the, pursuit of, the knowledge of the holy, the pursuit of God, um, uh, God's pursuit of man, um, the crucified life. I'm presently in uh, The Purpose of Man, and I am also uh, reading a book about the spirit-filled life, that kind of thing. Uh, within his writings, because he's writing between the 40s and 63, um, look, this is what salvation is, this is what it looks like, and if it doesn't look like that, you got to question whether or not you're saved. Now, we've come some 50 years since he passed from this earth, and um, the evangelical church of his day, he was thinking was going off course. We would be considered evangelical, and uh, for the most part, I think we're okay. Um, sure, there are some things that we can work on. There always will be. Uh, but I do recognize what he's saying, that in the thought of many people today, uh, salvation's really about what I get out of it instead of what the Bible says. When we look at what the Bible says when it comes to uh, the concept of eternal security, there is no problem from a biblical standpoint that if you're saved, you never, 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 never have to worry about whether or not you can lose it. And uh, we'll see that as we go through here. So uh, that's one of the reasons why I really appreciate the chapter. And it's not that I haven't struggled with uh, the question or the assurance of my salvation, but assurance is really based on your condition. It is not based on your position. It's when you start reckoning your position to be true that your life comes around and starts looking a little bit more like that, at which point, because of obedience, you're normally assured a little bit better. But uh, I don't know how many people say, you know, it says that if you just said that prayer, you can know that you have eternal life. It's kind of like, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, I write these things unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, what things did he write? Well, you're going to love the brethren. You're going to keep God's commandments. You're going to deal with sin. And I think there's two more in 1 John that you can take a look at. Uh, when you're doing that, then you can know. So, all right. Uh, foundation for reckoning. Letter A, the purpose and necessity of a foundation. Now, these are secular definitions. Uh, what is a foundation? Part of a structural system that supports and anchors the superstructure of a building and transmits its load directly to the earth. 
To prevent damage from repeated freeze-thaw cycles, the bottom of the foundation must be below the frost line. Now, that was one. Uh, Second uh, definition for foundation, provide the structure stability from the ground to distribute the weight of the structure over a large area in order to avoid overloading the underlying soil, possibly causing unequal settlement. Okay, cool. Now, the spiritual counterpart. The first paragraph in the book on page 241 says, Reckoning on our life union with the Lord establishes us in the full assurance of salvation. On this foundation, we are able to reckon on our eternal, unconditional security in Him. Until we are grounded in the truths of substitution and union, we are not prepared for the more demanding reckoning of our identification with him in his death and resurrection and on to his ascension. Now, I I did put a couple of dots in there to say that I didn't uh, put the whole thing in there. But notice the crossover. Uh, It establishes us in the full assurance of salvation. Establishes would be equivalent to supports and anchors. Okay? Uh, Until we are grounded in the truths of substitution, grounded transmits the load, spreads it out so that it's easier to stay up, and then uh, we are not prepared for the more demanding reckoning of our identification. The word prepared there, to prevent damage. When we are prepared for the more demanding reckoning of our identification with him, we're going to uh, prevent damage that may come along due to trials. Uh, I'll give you a a small example. Uh, My third year in Bible college, I had just gotten married. Uh, My wife was coming and saying, let's have a kid. And I said, I'm in Bible college. I've got two years left. Let's get to know each other better. Let me graduate. And then, hey, I'm all for having kids. Okay. And as soon as she gave in to my demands at the time, she got pregnant. I don't know why she did that. You know, uh, well, here I am working Uh, part-time jobs, mowing lawns, stuff like that. No medical insurance at all. And because I'm a little bit financially oriented, I'm sitting there going, how are we going to pay the bill? And so I I went out and got a full-time job, went to school part-time, and um, uh, I think I was making $5.85 an hour for, for those young people that think 14 has to be the minimum wage, 15 next year. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, Lynn had the baby. It cost $3,500. I was paying that baby off $25 a month for a long time. Uh, so, uh, you know, it kind of freaks me out back then. Um, when I was 18, I bought a car, uh, $7,000 for a brand new car, kind of like a Chevy Nova. And um, I I sat there in shock thinking about how I had to pay $132 a month, like forever. Uh, That's how I handled debt when I was younger. Um, Sunday night, I'm on my way here. 
and I turn on to 159 from 161, and I'm kind of going. I'm not pushing it or anything like that, and all of a sudden, my motor revs. It's kind of like, ooh, it's out of gear. And then as I let the foot off and the uh, RPMs come down, it grabs the gear again and starts going. And uh, did that a couple of times on the way up here. I, I did make it to the church. But uh, it's kind of like, oh, Lord. Okay, well, I just spent all the money I had for Jonathan's motor in his truck. <laughs> and now there's not that money sitting there that, you know, just collecting interest. And it's kind of like, okay, Lord, your truck. You're going to have to pay for it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> and already, uh, out, of, out of the cost, I was able to save a little bit, and the Lord has uh, provided through other activities uh, some money to help take care of it. Some of my escrow came back to me, and uh, Jonathan's motor, once they ship the core back, uh, I get a, a $1,000 refund. So um, more than half of it's already paid for. Uh, so now we're just waiting on the transmission to get here and put it in the truck. So I will now have a... Um, 12-year-old truck with a, a rebuilt motor and a rebuilt transmission. So I should be good for a, a while, don't you think? We'll see. But notice the attitude difference. I'm not freaking out. I'm not worried about it. Uh, the Lord will take care of it uh, because of time and experience. And I can reckon, knowing that this isn't an issue, okay, we, we can uh, move on with it. So... Um, uh, that brings us to letter C, things to reckon for eternal security. Now, he had a list of 13. Uh, I actually took the paragraph before his list of 13 because this is part of why we can reckon our uh, salvation to be secure, okay? So the truth in the Word, uh, dealing with the person of Christ, his title as Savior is dependent upon his personhood. If he's not who he is, well, then he can't save. But if he is who he is, then and only then can he save. So notice, 100% uh, God. Uh, it kind of messes with my brain when I think about God is in heaven, and he creates life in Mary's womb, and he just went from there to there, just that quick. You know, uh, I, you know there, there's no uh, uh, male and female getting together, procreating, none of that. It's God creates it. The Holy Spirit, I guess, would be the one that creates that life in her, and that life is a life that already exists because he's God. And then he's also 100% human. So he uh, receives his humanity, if you will, from mom, uh, deity, because he is. And so 100% God, 100% human. And as a man, he can be the sinless substitute for man. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So because he's a human, a man, he, uh, he can be the sinless substitute for a man. Because he is God, he is infinite. And he can be the substitute for an infinite number of men. 
to pay for an infinite number of sins, if you will. Romans 5.10, for if when we were uh, enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 2 Corinthians 5.18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So he has taken care of everything for us. Who's us? The body of Christ, the church, if you will, uh, because he is God. Uh, Number two, the eternal sure purposes of God. Uh, He pointed out that we are saved and therefore are vessels of mercy. And, And again, when we're talking about the eternal security, when I say we are saved, if we are actually saved, this is all true. There is no concern about the loss of salvation. Whether or not one is really saved, especially in this day and age when we have watered down the gospel, where it's, hey, believe in Jesus and you get this life insurance policy. When you die, you bring it with you, show it to God, they let you in. Woohoo! Isn't that wonderful? And it has no claim on your life at all. Uh, That may have... I'm not exactly sure when it started. You could probably bring the roots of it all the way back. Well, possibly all the way back to the first century, but at least the 1800s when Arminianism was really picking up a lot of uh, uh, followers through some of the evangelistic things that were going on in the early 1900s with uh, Moody and stuff like that, where all you have to do is, uh, is belief. Now, that is true. All you have to do is believe, right? Believe what? Believe the gospel. Um, and a lot of good work was done for the glory of God in that time, but it really did become a decision that you would make. Uh, you know, when it came to my uh, human birth, I had absolutely no decision in it. Mom and dad got together. God uh, put that stuff in union. And man, nine months later, I'm sitting there going, What's with this? You know, uh, there's lights out here. Oh, man. Um, I, I had no choice in it. And when we look at Scripture, we find out that really you must be born again. Now, I'm not saying that a man doesn't have a choice in the issue. What I'm saying is it is the work of God that brings about this life. It's not just because you said a prayer. And I mean, I have talked to young people that were told by pastor's wives. Well, the, she said, all I had to do was say the prayer and I'd be saved. I'm like, oh, oh. I'm listening to a political uh, guy on uh, TikTok tonight as I'm getting ready to come here. And all of a sudden, he starts giving the gospel. And I start listening real carefully. He did a real good job. Uh, he talked about... Uh, what happens after a person gets saved as far as God changing them, making them more like Jesus, and so on and so forth. Kind of like, wow, that's good stuff. So the eternal sure purposes of God, the saved are vessels of mercy, Romans 9.23, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. And uh, we're going to see a little bit later that this idea that God prepared beforehand for glory the vessels of mercy 
We're going to see that real clear when we get to Romans 8.29, which is the chapter before this, but we'll, we'll get there in a moment. Uh, letter B, the saved will, finally, uh, will be finally conformed to the image of his Son. Notice Romans 8.29. I told you we'd get there. Uh, for whom he foreknew. Okay? Now, the concept of foreknowing, the word there is prognostica or something like that. And it's where we get the word prognosticate. And when a doctor gives you the prognosis, he's telling you how we're going to fix the problem. He's not telling you what the problem is. We already know what the problem is. And here's the therapy that we're going to go through to get you well. That's the prognosis. Okay? So where before we've done it, we're telling you what's going to happen. That's the idea of foreknowing. Before it happens, yeah, he already had the plan. Okay, so for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Again, another term means predetermined. Predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he's predetermined that those that he foreknew, they're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Okay. And uh, we'll see a little bit more when we get to uh, uh, 8.30. But Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And just in case you thought you were going to get away with uh, entering not totally finished, you know, you stick the little toothpick in the cake when it's been in the oven for a little while, it's got a little bit of the yuck on it. Uh, just in case you thought you were going to get to heaven like that, First John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I don't know about you, but that's like a guarantee God's finishing the work, bing, bang, bong. Okay? So if we're saved, the saved will be finally conformed to the image of his son. That brings us to number three. God, because of his infinite power, is satisfied with Christ's person and work. Notice in... Uh, Matthew 3, 17, 12, 18, 17, 5, Mark 1, 11, uh, Luke 3, 22, uh, it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let me read a couple other verses for you. Isaiah 42, 21, the Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will exalt the law and make it honorable. Obviously talking about a future one that was coming. And then uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. In Matthew 12, 18, Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to the Gentiles. Uh, Matthew 17, 5, While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. John 8, 29, this is Jesus' approach to things. He said, to, uh, He who sent me is with me. The Father has, none left, uh, has not left me alone, for I always do the things that please him. And then 2 Peter 1, 17, For he received from God the Father 
honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So he's obviously, God the Father is obviously uh, pleased with the person of Christ. As we saw in 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin. So he was perfect and God was pleased with him. What about his work? Letter B. His work has satisfied God's wrath and brought justification and reconciliation with God for the believer. Notice, satisfying God's wrath. Romans 3.25, whom God set forth as a propitiation. The word propitiation means satisfaction by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. So God tolerated, if you will, the sins of all of the Old Testament saints, knowing that someday they were all going to get paid for. So he could have fellowship with Abraham, David, Jacob, etc., 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 knowing that, yeah, these guys aren't perfect, and I'm going to take care of that. So uh, God was righteous in passing over that. Uh, that's the idea there. Uh, Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we be, shall be saved from the wrath through him. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 1 John 2, 2. And he himself is the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And then 1 John 4.10, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the satisfaction for our sins. So uh, we, God is satisfied, but not only that, we are, he has reconciled us to God. Romans uh, 3.24, and being justified freely, the word justified means to be declared righteous, freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So because we've been declared righteous, we can now have fellowship with the righteous one. Uh, Romans 5.1, therefore having been justified, declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not enemies anymore. We've been reconciled. Uh, verse 10, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. 1 Corinthians uh, six eleven, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus and by uh, the Spirit of God. Again, we were uh, declared righteous, therefore could have fellowship with God. Second Corinthians 5.18, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation in Colossians 1.21. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled. So you can see we are reconciled to God. That brings us to number four. Because of God's love for us, he did all that was necessary to provide salvation to enemies. You catch that? He did all that was necessary so that enemies, those that he should have been able to just punish 
and shoot them, kill them, you know, all that, judge. No, no, he did everything so that they could be saved. Uh, Romans 5, 8 to 10. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And just in case that wasn't clear enough, Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Notice, his love is demonstrated, and it goes beyond just doing the minimum. He's willing to go above and beyond to give you all things. Wow. So that brings us to number five. Because of number three, let me reread number three for you. God, because of his infinite power, is satisfied with Christ's person and work. Because of number three, God would never reject the prayer of his son. In John 17, 9 through 11, it says, I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, catch this, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. Notice, Jesus is saying, keep them. The idea there is, you've saved them, now keep them. Don't let them be unsaved, if you will. Okay? So uh, because of that, he would never reject the prayer of his son. Number six, because of his death, God's wrath is fully satisfied for all sins, past, present, and future. Now you might think, well, didn't we just kind of cover that up there in letter B of number three? His work has satisfied God's wrath and brought justification and reconciliation with God. Well, this is the idea that some will have the idea that God paid for past sins. But now some sins might be bad enough where you can kind of mess that whole thing up. So let's take a look at a few verses, see if uh, what it says there. In John 10, 28, it says, And I give them eternal life. Now, how long does eternal life last? Eternally. Okay? That's the first thing. Now, here's the next thing. And they shall never perish. So when are they going to perish? In, in, in Brazil, in, in Portuguese, there is a word that means that it's not going to happen. And then there's a word that means it really could never, there's no possibility, no way, Jose. No, that's another language. Uh, never going to happen. And the word is jamais. If you look at the Portuguese Bible, this says, and they will jamais perish. They will never experience God's wrath. Okay, now if he has given them eternal life, and they will never perish. They must be perfect from them and on. Or they're only doing little minor sins. 
which again gets away from the doctrine of the depravity of man, which the evangelical church today does not really grasp how bad I could be. No, they'll all say, yeah, we believe you could be that bad. We just don't believe we're that bad. Well, that's the problem, okay? If you knew how bad you were, you'd be looking to God. <laughs> okay, so uh, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Now, Jesus' prayer, keep them. It says he, they're in the hand of God, and no one's going to take them out. Uh, re remember, this isn't MMA, where we have, uh, you know, this guy, he's the champion, but this guy, boy, he's pretty good. He might come in there and undo the champion's championship. And Satan is the uh, challenger. No. There's no one on the level. He's holding on and no one can take you out of his hand. Now, I have heard the objection. Yeah, but you can jump out. A lot of what we're going to see here shortly as far as what salvation does to a person makes that concept utterly ridiculous. Okay, so let's take a look at it. Again, in their minds, there's still some sins that Christ didn't or couldn't pay for. Uh, no, he paid for them all. Okay, so let's take a look here. Um, oh, well, let me read a couple more verses. I've already read Romans 8, 1, Hebrews 1, 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The idea of sitting down is the work is done. There is nothing more to do. Okay? Hebrews 10, 12 through 14. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, catch this, by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. <laughs> the concept of perfected is he's made them complete. So again, in the eyes of God, we died with Christ through baptism. We're buried with Christ. We're raised again to walk in newness of life. From God's perspective, positionally, we're perfect. We're being sanctified. And someday we will be finally sanctified. And none of that can be undone for the one who is saved. Okay? So... Uh, because of his death, God's wrath is fully satisfied for all sins, past, present, and future. Number seven, because of his resurrection, he has dissolved our union with Adam and has joined us to himself. Let's look at our uh, uh, time with Adam. First of all, Ephesians 2.1. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verses 5 and 6 of that same chapter, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
Tozer says, here God has elevated us to here and we're looking down on the earth. And if you've ever flown in a plane and you're at 40,000 feet, you're looking down and everything is so small. He goes, and if for some reason things start looking bigger, you have forgotten where you're sitting. You've come down here and you need to get back up there. It's kind of like, yeah, that's, that's some pretty good uh, uh, advice there. Okay, Colossians 2.13. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. I wanted to emphasize that all just in case there was a past, present, or future one that you'd think wasn't covered. Uh, Colossians 3, 1 to 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of the God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And then Romans 6, 13. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness of sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So you can see where we were joined to Adam, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. When uh, we trusted Christ, believed on the gospel, he translated us from the realm of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, and now we've been made alive by being joined to him. So uh, that's number seven. Number eight, Christ is not only our savior, but has also become our advocate. Now, I'll be honest with you, the first time I read one of these verses and saw that he was an advocate for us, I'm sitting there going, what on earth is an advocate? That's when I found out that it's a defense attorney. Okay, cool. Then I got down to Brazil and found out that a lawyer is an advogado which is a form of the same word, just Portuguese a little bit there. But uh, so he is our defense attorney, if you will. He's not only our savior, but he's our defense attorney. Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Well, what's he doing there? Well, verse 26 says, Then he would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he's dealt with the sin. Now he's the defense attorney. He's standing before that throne, uh, being our defense attorney. First uh, John 2, 1, My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We see in uh, the book of Revelation that Satan is accusing the brethren before the throne of God night and day. And for those that are uh, saved, the defense attorney is saying, hey, Dad, I paid for that one too. Okay, case dismissed. I paid for that one too. Case dismissed. I paid for that one too. Case dismissed. So he's our defense attorney. Now that does not mean case dismissed. Oh, well, you don't got to worry about it as we'll see as we go along here. So uh, number nine, because of Christ's advocate 
advocative intercession. I thought I made that word up, and then I looked it up, and it's actually a word, advocative. Oh, well, oh, well. Uh, Because of his advocative intercession, Satan has no power or authority to remove that salvation. Remember, here he is accusing us. This is his realm. We're living in his realm. So if anyone's got authority to do something, it'd be him. But I paid for that one. Case dismissed. He has no authority uh, to remove that salvation. Uh, Romans 8.34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. And then 9.24 again, for Christ has not entered the holy place made with hands, but he appears in the presence of God for us. And 1 John 2.1 again. So number 10, the saved one has become the Holy Spirit's eternal dwelling place. When I first saw that in the book, it's kind of like, really? Eternal? I know he's living in us today, Romans 8, 9, but he's going to live in us forever? Kind of, you know, (laughs) kind of makes sense when you start to think about it. Uh, but notice Romans, uh, I mean John fourteen sixteen. <coughs> Excuse me. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Cool. There it is. It's right there in the verse. He's going to be, we're going to be his eternal dwelling place. So that one's good. Number 11. When we were saved, there was a spiritual birth whereby the life of Christ became ours. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Colossians 1.27, To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Uh, Colossians 3.4, When Christ, who is your life, shall appear... you shall also appear with him in glory. So uh, it goes on to say, we were born again of water and the Spirit, uh, John 1.13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now, notice, we're born again not of blood. In other words, kids that are born to saved parents, no, that's not good enough nor of the will of the flesh. So this isn't a decision that someone makes. Okay, I'm saved. Nope, nope, nope. Nor of the will of man, uh, the things that I can do uh, to bring that about. Nope, but it is of God. And then uh, John 3, 5 to 7, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. Now, when he says, unless you're born of water and of the Spirit, he's not saying you got to be born humanly and then born spiritually. He is going back to Ezekiel 
36, verses 25 and following, where it says uh, part of the new covenant is that they will be sprinkled with water and cleansed. Well, it also says that in Titus 3, 5, I believe, not of works of righteousness, which we have done, but by the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Oh, so that's what he was meaning there. So we are born again of water and the Spirit, and then we're adopted into the family of God. Romans uh, 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. 8.23 says, Not only that, but we also have uh, we, all, we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption of the redemption of the body. Galatians 4, 5, and 6. To redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his Spirit, uh, the Spirit of his Son, into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And then Ephesians 1.5, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So we became, we were adopted in the family of God and now we are called children of God. John 1.12, but as many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name and then Galatians 3.26, for you all are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. So you can see again where there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on there that when you start to think about it, if you're saved, you're not going to be unsaved. Okay? And then the next uh, paragraph here, number 12. Having been born again of the Spirit, we became new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. All right? And then we see we're a new cre creation created in Christ's image, truly holy and righteous. Now, this is something that most people don't really grasp, that when you're saved... Here's another one of those things. This is how God looks at you. And that you put on the new man. Well, obviously, we have put on the new man at the moment of salvation. But Paul's saying, now put on the behavior of the, old man, of the new man. The old man, he told you to put off the conduct of the old man in verse 22. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So this new creation is truly righteous and holy. It is made in the image of God, if you will. Okay, Not in the sense of Adam being created in the image of God, but as we saw a little bit earlier, Christ in us. That's our hope of glory. So it's a, I don't know how to say a little bit of Jesus, but it's kind of, that's what it is, okay? It's the new man. And it goes on to say here, sinless and incapable of sin. Now, I had to put that on there because, again, we do not always associate ourselves with who we are in Christ. 
we have habitually sinned for how many years we get saved, and then we still struggle with the law of sin in our members. If you read chapter 7 carefully, from about verse 14, 15 to the end, Paul is looking at life with all of the temptations and the failures from the perspective of the new creature. I don't want to sin anymore. I hate sin. I want to do what pleases God. That's not my flesh talking. When I get saved, I got this battle going on in me. The new wants to do the right. The old, oh boy, I really like that stuff. You know, and um, we associate ourselves with the old instead of understanding, look, what Paul did. It's no longer I, the new man who sins, but it's sin that dwells in me. Again, got to be born again for that to be the case. Otherwise, the orientation of people is, I really like that, and I just want to do it, and that's all there is to it. Oh, yeah, I know I probably shouldn't, but that kind of a thing. So let's take a look here. 1 John 3, 9. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Now, if you just look at that part right there, I don't know anybody that's saved. See what I'm saying? Because we all sin. He's not talking about you. He's talking about that which is born of God, the new creation that is holy and righteous. That part of you never sins. It is no longer I who sin, but sin that dwells in me. When I first read that, I thought, man, Paul's found himself a good excuse. It's never his fault. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying, as a new creature, this part of me does not sin. He goes on to say, 1 John 3, 9, for his seed remains in him. God's seed remains in the person that's born of God, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Why? Because he's truly righteous and holy. Who? Christ in you, the new creation, born again, different person, now, if that's what's true about the believer, that this new aspect is now a part of him in such a way that God is in the process of putting off the old, putting on the new, conforming him to the image of Jesus Christ, that's how invested God is in this thing. How could anybody lose salvation? Well, just in case you think he could, let's move on a little bit further. Wow. Number 13, having received the Holy Spirit as a down payment, guaranteeing our redemption, uh, Romans 8.23 says, oop, that's on a previous page, so I better go back there. Uh, 8.23, 8.23, uh, come on. Oh, my. Well, uh, you'll have to look that one up because I didn't highlight it. Shame on me. Uh, Romans 8.23, I don't have it with me right now, but Ephesians 1.14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Now, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. Now, uh, our best word for that is a down payment. When you buy a house, you, you put a down payment down. That is the guarantee that I'm going to continue to pay all of the payments until it's paid off. 
Okay, notice again, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. What's the purchased possession? Us. And when is the redemption? When we see Jesus. So he's the guarantee that we're going to get the inheritance that God promised uh, when he comes to redeem the body finally. Uh, let me quickly look at Romans 8.23 because I think it's uh, worth uh, looking at. Romans 8.23 says, And not only that, but we ourselves who have the Spirit as first fruits, we also groan within ourselves eagerly, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our uh, bodies. So we're looking forward to that day when we see Jesus and we put on, uh, uh, we're glorified, uh, justified fully, etc., etc., etc. Okay, so that brings us to... Uh, the Holy Spirit has a down payment guaranteeing our redemption. He baptized us into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.13. Is Christ divided? It was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of uh, Paul? And I looked at the wrong verse. Shame on me. Quickly, 1 Corinthians 12. I believe it's actually 11. Not 1.13. One more page. Uh, but one and the same Spirit is active in all these things, distributing to each person that you will know it. Verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into the body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Uh, again, the word baptism, baptized means to be placed into, uh, associated with the dying industry, not the death type, but uh, the recoloring of cloth. And so that cloth is put into the water that has the dye in it. And when it comes out, it is now associated with the color that was in that water. It was placed into, and now it's associated with. Well, the Spirit of God placed us into the body of Christ, and we're sealed there, which we'll see in a moment here. Let me see, back to number 13. He baptized us into the body of Christ and sealed us there until the day of redemption. Ephesians 1.13, I think that's where my confusion is. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Uh, Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were also sealed, notice, for the day of redemption. The day of redemption, when Christ comes back and this uh, mortality puts on immortality. This corrupted puts on incorruptibility when we see Jesus. Okay? Now, with that in mind, the idea of being sealed. Now, imagine this invisible body. That's the body of Christ. The Spirit of God is the one that places you into this body and then seals you there. Uh, the idea is uh, in the day of Paul, sending a letter. You would write the letter, you'd roll it up in a scroll, and then you'd put some wax on the joint there and stamp it with your ring. And the only person that's allowed to open it is the one you're sending it to. Well, God, uh, the Holy Spirit, has sealed us into the body of Christ until or for the day of redemption, which means when Christ comes back, that's when the seal is open in the sense of, oh, there, I got my letter that kind of a thing, okay? So that's another thing where if you think about it, how can you be unsaved if this is what the Spirit of God is doing and he's the guarantee of your salvation 
it, it doesn't make a lot of sense when you think about it. Number 14, having been sealed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, see above, we are now to follow the Spirit's leading. Romans 8, 13 and 14. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, all this is really saying is, as God shows you things that need to be put off, you're doing it through the power of the Spirit that lives in you. And He's leading you into righteousness. And if He's leading you, you're a child of God. Okay? Uh, So... Having been sealed by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ, we are now to follow the Spirit's leading. Being filled, another good word for filled there is empowered, Ephesians 5.18. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Everything that happens after that is what it looks like when you're filled with the Spirit. Go back and look at it again. Okay, being filled with the Spirit. Colossians 3.16 says... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And everything that happens after verse 16 is the same thing as everything that happens from verses 19 through chapter 6, verse 8 or 9, I believe it is. Okay? So it's saying the same thing. It just said it differently. One says, be filled with the Spirit. One says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Well, if you're letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, chances are you're going to be filled or empowered by the Spirit of God to follow His leading and do the things that uh, you're supposed to do. Notice, though, in verse number 14 there, being filled or empowered by the Spirit, we are to be careful in this relationship not to grieve or quench the Spirit. Ephesians 4.30 again said that... uh, We were, uh, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit, whereby you were sealed until the day of redemption. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the Spirit. The idea of grieving is here he is, uh, he's leading you, and you go off your own way. And like, you know you shouldn't be doing that, and you go off your own way. You're going to do what you want to do. That is bringing grief to him because he's given to you for the purpose of leading you to righteousness and you're choosing uh, the wrong. As far as quenching, uh, this might be one of those situations where uh, he kind of makes it plain, you know, you really need to talk to that guy about Jesus. And you sit there and say, I couldn't do that. I'd be embarrassed. I'm afraid of what what question he might ask that I, I wouldn't be able to answer. And you're putting the fire out that he's trying to ignite in you. Uh, Maybe you're quenching him because he's saying, hey, you haven't dealt with that issue and you need to deal with that issue. It's kind of like, quiet. You know, like a little kid bugging you. And you're telling him, quiet. You are grieving him and you're putting that fire out. You're quenching him. And uh, notice, though, what it says there. We are to be careful in this relationship Here the Spirit of God is living in you. He's given not just to guarantee that God's going to finish the work and all that kind of stuff, but He's given to lead you, to guide you into all truth, to empower you to do the things that God wants you to do. And 
we in our evangelical types of churches have a hard time acknowledging the Spirit of God. When we pray, we may pray to the Father, we may pray to Jesus. If we pray to the Father, we're doing it in the name of Jesus. We forget that the Spirit's there because we don't know how to pray, and He prays for us. According to the will of God, I don't know about you, but that means it's going to be answered, <laughs> you know, and uh, that's pretty good stuff. And so here we have this relationship with Him. Now, uh, are we ready to go to the dark side and become charismatic? That's not the issue. The issue is you have God living inside of you and you have this relationship whereby we, for the most part, we don't want to be like those people, so we kind of ignore it instead of embracing it. Okay, Lord, you know, I'm struggling with this passage here. What on earth were you trying to say? Tozer talks about wrestling with the Spirit uh, as he's studying the Scripture and he just, okay, Lord, you're going to have to enlighten my eyes. I'm sitting here until you're finished. He was on a lot of train rides. <laughs> and he took his time with the Spirit of God to uh, point things out and show him stuff in the Word of God. All right, that brings us to number 15. Having become a child of God, we are to recognize that our sins cannot unsave us, but we do have consequences and that God uses those consequences as discipline to work in our lives, conforming us to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29, For we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. What things? Yeah, the easy answer is all things. Get into the context. The context is Romans 7. The context is, uh, you see it again in Romans 8, where put off and put on, and we're, we're struggling with sin. That's the all things that God is working together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Hebrews 12, 5 through 7. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son he, whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. And what son is there whom a father does not chasten? Now, I don't know about you, but in growing up spiritually, Bible college, the early churches that I went to, the concept of God's discipline or chastisement, look up the word. It means to whip. Okay? Have I suffered the whipping? And, and you guys know, I, I am not the compliant child. I'm the rebel that every time you say something, it's kind of like, yeah, show me in the Word of God, because otherwise, don't care. Okay? And I have messed up, I would say, pretty bad at times. And yeah, my conscience bothered me terrible. I felt terrible. It took a little while to get back to walking with God in a way that it's kind of like, okay, I feel like he's not mad at me anymore, that kind of thing. I had a real bad understanding of that whole thing. But God has mostly disciplined me by just letting me know how I messed up. 
and my need for him. So when we talk about his chastisement, look, if you're going to be an unrepentant sinner, I can promise you the scourging part is probably part of it, okay? But if you'll be sensitive to the Spirit, what is the Spirit called by Jesus in John? Another paraclete, which is translated comforter. When the Spirit of God convicts you, He's your comforter. He's not attacking. He's not accusing. He's saying, come on, man. Book of Jeremiah. One of the key phrases in the book of Jeremiah is, return to me. Here they had been living in such sin that God finally has to take them out of the land. And in the process, the Spirit of God is saying, return to me. Get back over here. Stop living out there where you don't belong. So when we think of God's chastisement, let's understand that under normal circumstances, he's not beating anybody over the head with a two-by-four. If you're going to be that hard-headed, and that's what's necessary, I imagine he might do that, but uh, he is the comforter, and he calls us back to himself, yes, even using the consequences of our sin uh, to do so. Now, again, overall, when you look at these things, you see that salvation is provided for completely. There, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. There's no way it can be lost. So when we go to the phrase, once saved, always saved, the always saved is never a biblical problem. Where the problem comes in is the profession of faith and the possession of Christ could be two different things. And again, as Tozer talked about the evangelical church kind of getting off kilter a little bit and our gospel being watered down a little bit, it's easy to see where some profess. But do they have the life of Christ in them? Usually the idea is they left us, 1 John 2, 19, to make manifest that they were not one of us. For if they were of us, they certainly would have remained. But their leaving proved that they weren't. Now, the reason why that's important, (coughs) excuse me, is there's a lot of shepherds out there. We listen to them on the radio all week long, you know, that kind of thing. And if you're hearing stuff about, well, we don't agree with this once saved, always saved. Look, all the real question is, is are you saved? If you are He has taken care of everything. He is in the process of making you more like Christ. And the best thing you can do is submit yourself to him and to uh, what, what he's working because it's good stuff. Any questions, thoughts? All right. Yes, sir. So with the chastisement, of course, you know, as in being our comforter, um, is it unique? Is the certain type of chastisement almost like uh, unique to that specific person, almost to like where it will convict them the most? So it's like our chastisement might be different. Let, let me uh, let me use God's word um, in child rearing. Raise up a child according to his way, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Right? Most people think that means 
if you do the right things in the raising of your children, when they're old, they won't depart from what you've taught them. Unfortunately, we have all too many examples of kids who were raised the right way, and man, not only did they leave, they went a-running. They're, they're so far away, it's an absolute shame. What that verse actually means is, raise up that child according to their own bent. Now, you have two. Are Tobiah and Calliope the same? No, they're two completely different kids, two totally different personalities. One you might only have to look at, the other one you might need to hit upside the head with a two-by-four. I, I, I'm just guessing. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, ha- I had five, and uh, we have a tendency to raise up children according to how we think it ought to be done instead of actually looking at the kids and seeing how different they are and what works with one doesn't work with the other. And that's where some of our mistakes come in. And so Rachel probably never needed to be yelled at. Um, Jonathan, same thing. Daniel and Joseph, boy, especially Joseph, probably needed more than he got. (laughs) Uh, Hannah, on the other hand, stubborn, I tell you what. Um, So we had to change our approach to each one, and I'm not saying we did. What I'm saying is God works with you according to where you are and how you respond. And look, like I say, if you need a two-by-four, I'm pretty sure he'll use one. And again, I'm not saying I'm tender-hearted and all that kind of stuff, but I have found even in the worst things that I've done, God has been very, very gracious. Yes, it was hard to go through it, but God has been very, very gracious in his discipline. He could have done any number of things to me and would have been totally righteous, but he didn't do those things. So, Well, let's go ahead and pray. Uh, We have a few things to consider. Pray for the McIntosh family. Uh, Carolyn, of course, has gone on to her reward, and uh, she's not in pain anymore. Uh, She's probably seen Jim, but... It's kind of like Jesus is so much more important than Jim. Jim's over there right now. <laughs> um, but uh, pray for the family um, because though they, the McIntosh family, both parents, they got to watch them little by little uh, weaken and, and go into eternity. And so they were able to sit down with them, share memories and enjoy time with them and stuff like that. Um, they really seem to have a good head on their shoulders as far as death being a part of God's process, uh, but it doesn't mean it doesn't still hurt. So pray for them. Uh, pray for Jackie as she deals with uh, her circumstances, for uh, uh, Hazel Webking, for Julie, new uh, uh, kidney, uh, that we might be seeing Versi again soon. Who knows? Um, so, and... Uh, Patty has a procedure tomorrow, so pray for her. Yes, sir. Uh, Anthony, a friend, uh, a kid who used to come to Brian here, uh, a friend of uh, Doug's, uh, his dad recently passed, went into uh, the presence of the Lord, and um, family like uh, the Macintoshes, comfort. Uh, for those who might not know the Lord, that their hearts might be open to that. Uh, 
Anthony seems to be handling it really well, uh, according to Doug here. And so, again, he, he was his caretaker for however long and knew that his dad was going into eternity, into God's presence, and cool. It's, it's not a problem anymore. So pray for them. Okay, uh, anyone can pray, and uh, after a few minutes, I'll close this. Heavenly Father, thank you for leading us through this process to conform us to your image. You've displayed patience and love and kindness and caring as we move along this way. We have a prayer for the McIntosh family. Grant them peace and rest and comfort. I believe one of their sons is a, is a minister. Mm -hmm. I believe that's true. We pray for Patty as she goes through this procedure tomorrow. We pray for Doug and his two beautiful children. And we, we thank Doug for the love and kindness and, and sharing of his life with his children. What a man, I appreciate him. We pray for Hazel. We pray for Jackie. We pray for our sister, Mercy and all that they are struggling with. But we know, Lord, uh, that you have that all under control. Now that's easy for me to say, but I believe in my heart that you can protect them and will and guide them and give them peace and comfort. I humbly ask for a kidney from my daughter, Julie. She has been nothing but patient and kind and loving all through this process. And I thank you for that. I pray for the teachers over in Wyoming tonight who are sharing the gospel with our children. And I pray for the children who are there tonight, listening to and accepting that word. Pray for Marine Christian School, Legacy Christian School, that those children are growing up, hearing the word. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I just want to thank you for all that we all that we have asked for in Jesus name amen father I agree with my brothers and sisters here as we uh, come before you and thank you for the privilege that we can come as a part of the body of Christ you have given us the spirit to not only guides us into truth, but to know how to pray. And so we know that uh, our bodies are fearfully and wonderfully made, and we thank you for the wisdom you have given both the believing and the unbelieving doctors, and, uh, and our brothers and sisters who are going through various uh, sicknesses, and maybe just simple uh, testings to be tested on, and. Uh, Grant them the strength to go through it. May things be found the way that you would have it, have it to be found. And we may give you the uh, glory. We thank you for how you've been given um, our pastor help and ability to uh, continue to preach. We thank you for the wisdom you've given him, understanding of um, your word that you, you, you are speaking to us through it. We ask you to continue to strengthen his body and spirit and 
show us how we can be encouragement, encouragement also. And we need to ask for forgiveness for, for a brother or sister. May we have the grace to do so. And may we uh, have the grace to uh, accept that forgiveness as you would have us do. And so we ask now that you will continue to direct us as the Edgewood Bible Church in a way that we can continue to be that light and the salt that you have called us to be. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the wonderful salvation that you have provided for us. We recognize that this was the will of the Father, that uh, you did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And with all that, the Spirit has worked in us in such a way that we have been able to come to faith in Christ uh, through his work. We thank you, Father, for making, uh, putting your spirit within us, giving us a, a new spirit, um, writing your words upon our hearts, and um, causing us to walk in your ways. Uh, we recognize, Lord, that uh, the Holy Spirit was not just given to us uh, as a guarantee, but he has baptized us into your uh, son's body, uh, sealed us there for the day of redemption, gifted us, given us uh, uh, promise of an inheritance uh, enables us to earn rewards. <clears throat> and when we are yours, we are yours. We thank you, Lord, for the assurance that we can have uh, through the practice of your word and um, what it says. We do ask, Lord, that uh, when we consider this country, we have seen where as a country we have become lawless ungodly, unrighteous. And Father, we ask that you would bring the fear of the Lord upon this people, that you might open eyes to the truth of the gospel, uh, even to know that uh, Jack Hibbs uh, prayed the other day in the Congress and uh, heard the prayer. Not a thing wrong with it, but all kinds of people agitated because uh, we would need a God. Oh, Lord, how do we need you? Open eyes and bring revival. And start, Lord, with your, with your church, that we might have our heads screwed on straight about uh, the things of your word. Father, that we know that you are worthy and you've been so gracious to us. And, Lord, that we might live unto you in all that we say and do for your honor and glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. All righty. Have a good God-honoring week. Lord willing, see you Sunday. We're going to sing that celebration of